Hi, my name is Ruby, and I'm Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife's assistant, and you're listening to the Dr. Finlayson Fife Podcast Archive. The podcast you'll be listening to today is entitled Raising Our Children in an Oversexualized World, originally produced and published by Jody Chafee. Welcome, and we hope you enjoy this episode. Okay, I want to welcome you to this show. This is episode 92 of Our Modern Heritage, the Home and Family Culture podcast. And this is a show about how to deliberately design your intentional family culture. And I'm your host, Jody Chapey. Today on the show is Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife. Dr. Finlayson Fife is an ALDS relationship and sexuality coach, as well as a licensed clinical professional counselor in the state of Illinois. She has a PhD in counseling psych- psycho- psychology, in addition to her dissertation research on LDS women's sexuality and relationship to desire. She has taught college level human sexuality courses. Her teaching and coaching focuses on helping LDS individuals and couples achieve greater satisfaction and passion in their emotional and sexual relationships. Welcome, Dr. Finlayson Fife. Thanks for having me. So excited to have you. So this is a really interesting topic to me. I find it very fascinating. And so, but when did you know that you wanted to focus on sexuality and relationships in your study and in your practice? Well, I think when I was a young person, I I really did care a lot about marriages. I observed marriages a lot and I thought about what made people happy. And, you know, wow, there was a lot of encouragement uh, for me growing up in the church to get married is a really important step. I saw a lot of people that I thought were not, didn't seem happily married. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I cared a lot about what mattered in creating a happy marriage. And I thought a lot about, just women's role in marriage. That is to say, why did it seem that a lot of women were not necessarily happy in marriage or seemed like they lost a lot of themselves? And I didn't have a lot of language for it then, but I was trying to puzzle that out. Uh, So I, you know, I eventually decided that I was going to pursue graduate work in becoming a therapist. And I did a lot of focus on women's issues and um, thinking about women's experience And then when I got into my PhD program, I was asked to teach human sexuality classes to the undergraduates at Boston College. And I was also at the same time trying to determine a dissertation topic. I was about to get married. I had a lot of friends who were talking about being unhappily married or who did not like sex, who were LDS. And so I was just kind of, you know, thinking about that, those questions and how they impacted marriage. And it just became my you know, I just like, I I think I want to figure this out. What is LDS women's experience? When does it go well? When does it not go well? So that's, was the basis. And so that's just kind of naturally where my experience and curiosities brought me. Um, and, and then, you know, my, my main focus was marriage, but because I'd written this dissertation and so on, then when I kind of, uh, started my practice a few years into, you know, having kids and so on, then, um, there was just clearly a real need for it. And so it's really become a foundational part of the work I do. Yeah, that's awesome. So you were just like passionate about trying to figure out how to help families or couples thrive basically, that's right. right? That's right. That's awesome. So why yeah. did your why did you feel like you need to focus on LDS just because you are LDS or is it, you know, was there something I didn't else feel like that? I needed to so much as I wanted to. I, I think uh-huh. that I um yeah, it was growing up LDS first of all um 
how do I say this without trying to draw attention to myself? My, my father passed away a week ago. And so I am here mm, in Vermont because we have his funeral tomorrow. And he was 85 years old. He lived a very good life and taught us a lot of things. But we as a family have just been sort of planning our thoughts for tomorrow and what each of us is going to say. And so there, I've been thinking a lot about the family culture that I grew up in. And But growing up in New England, like I did, the church was extremely important to my experience. It was my extended family. It was my group. It was my people. It was the people that looked after me in addition to my parents. And um, because we were far away from the Intermountain West where my parents had grown up and where our extended family was. And so, so I, I think as a kind of sensitive child who was quite a sensitive in the sense of, I was very interpersonally aware and thoughtful and sort of trying to puzzle out why did some people thrive and why didn't others thrive? And I think I saw um, struggle as well as strength within the LDS community. And I mm-hmm. felt sort of drawn to figuring out how you know, I believed in the truthfulness of the gospel. I believed that the truth was here, but I also could just feel we were getting a lot of things wrong and that the way mm-hmm. to get things more right was to lean more into what was true. And um, a- a- even if it meant challenging ideas that were accepted ideas. And so I think I was invested in my community thriving more and in particular how to help women thrive more because a lot of women seem dutiful, but not happy Mm. Um, and sort of in their roles, but not necessarily thriving and at peace. And uh, so I I think I was attuned to that, afraid of replicating it in some way. So I think I was trying to puzzle it up for myself as well as trying to help other people to maybe live more in line with true ideas than maybe some Mm -hmm. of the traditions we had been offered. Yeah. So what you're saying is that like the truth, like the gospel offers truths, but people had misconstrued ideas basically is that you're saying like, it's not that they were that the, the church necessarily teaches principles about sexuality that are incorrect. It's that people had, had misconstrued some things. Is that what yeah, you Yeah, yes. I think that, I mean, I think it's, a, it's, a, it's not quite as clean as maybe the way you're saying it. I think that we are all looking through a glass darkly in a sense. And that is that uh-huh. we are all, even our best efforts to offer true ideas are filtered through our own limited experience. Oh, and yeah. so we're all sort of reaching for something, but oftentimes handing down ideas that are in fact part of our own limitations without re- recognizing we're handing it down as gospel even though it's not. And I think, you know, Joseph Smith spoke to this and, you know, Elder Dorf has spoken to this idea that, and Christ spoke to this idea that you can believe something's true, but then it actually limits your ability to find out what's actually more freeing, more true. So, you know, I, so I think that it's, it's not necessarily that we're getting everything right, but people are interpreting it the wrong way. We're getting a lot of things wrong as well as a lot of things, right? (laughs) And so how do we get closer to what's true because I think the more we do the better our lives are I like that you said to lean into the truth to lean into it and try and figure out because I think that a lot of people when you're talking about sexuality it's like "Mm -mm, I don't want to talk about this or something you know it's and and it's scary I mean it's like especially in our world that's so over sexualized that's something that you you talk about but and so I think some people go well it's already over sexualized wouldn't talking about it more emphasize it more or make my kids more curious you know what are people so afraid of it if 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 we do talk about it more will it make things more prevalent 
Yeah. Well, I no, I don't see it that way. I mean, I think yeah. that in some sense, if you were in a culture where it's not spoken about at all, you could maybe get away with, if that's the right way to say it, not speaking about it as a parent, because that's the currency. It's all kind of only to be worked out between spouses or something. But given that that's not the reality and there are tons of messages, well, you don't really have that luxury anymore, in my opinion, because you have to be uh, a resource in the face of a lot of information, a lot of misinformation. So I don't, whether or not we want to, I think that is basically our responsibility given the larger culture. And I think that it doesn't, the, some fantasy that the ideas are going to make your kids more curious, I think no research supports that. The more that parents are settled in their ability to offer a position and offer a framing of sexuality, the less likely the kids are to have sex outside of marriage and early and so on. The more misinformation there is or non-information, the more that more vulnerable kids are because they're kind of going and trying to figure it out on their own and looking for information, and which is often misinformation on their own. So the higher the anxiety, the less responsible the decision-making will be around it, either into irresponsible sexual behavior or repressed sexual behavior, both of which have a negative impact on the ability to be in an intimate partnership. So our kids are going to get the information regardless, because we live in an over-sexualized world, they're going to get because that was one of the reasons I, I reached out to you to have you on the show is because you had posted about how parents need to lead out in the discussion of, around sexuality in our culture. And I was like, huh, I wonder what she's referring to. I'd love to have a conversation with you about this. You know, what is it about our culture that parents need to be the ones leading the discussion? Yeah, because whether or not you want to be, you're telling you are teaching your kids a lot about sex just by the way that you live. The fact that you don't talk about it is a message, for example. The fact that, you know, as an example, one version of it, or every time something sexualized comes on the, on the TV, or you get super anxious and turn it off, that is a message. Okay. And, and it's not necessarily the message you think you're giving. (laughs) It might be mom can't handle this topic. Therefore, I'm not going to bring any of my questions to her. Right. And so you have to think about, you can't really get away from the fact that the way you relate to sexuality is being communicated to your kids, whether or not you want it to be and whether or not it's a very helpful message. And so the more you're able to get your own head on straight about sexuality and its role in the good life and its role in the moral life, um, the more clear headed you are about that, the more you're in a position to be uh, an anchor for your children. I think the more you are afraid of it, avoid it, don't want to talk about it. It makes you anxious. You're afraid it will run your life or get out of control if it gets named or addressed. The more your kids are going to function like that's the case. So it's not so much, do you want to offer a message or not? It's like you already are offering a message. You want to take a look at the message you're offering even through your silence. Yeah. Yeah. That's so fascinating because like, that's one of the things that I bring up a lot is how everybody has a culture, whether by default or by design and by avoiding things or being, you know, overly casual or ignoring things, you're actually creating a culture by default without recognizing it. And one of the things that I like to address is how leadership isn't so important in our family culture. Everybody in our, in a family has a culture leader 
And I like to encourage family parents to be that leader because I I, I use this analogy that family culture is like, you're going on a road trip and there's all these different thing components to navigating that trip. And leadership is like the driver, you know, who is at the wheel of your vehicle of your family culture. And it's like, put parents at the, at the wheel, right. Instead of the culture, the social media or your teenager or things like that, like parents need to be at the wheel of our family culture. And so but if talking about sexuality is so important and bringing these topics up is so important, why aren't more parents taking the lead? Because we're afraid <laughs> yeah, for, for all those reasons, because many of us haven't worked out our own relationship to sexuality. I think uh-huh. a lot, one of the false traditions that I talk about a lot in my courses and so on is the idea that, that sex is Satan's pathway, that your sexuality we say the language of it's good and so on, but I think the the real message that many of us have is that it's uh, dangerous, that it runs the risk of pulling us down. And we see the sexuality as the active ingredient in that, not who we are, not our own moral development. And so a lot of times we're afraid that the sexual interest and desire that we have will lead us away from goodness or godliness. And so then if, if you believe that, even just as an inherited instinctive idea, you want to then avoid the topic. You don't want to, you want to preserve your children's innocence by not bringing up this ugly topic. You want to pretend that they don't know anything about it, that you want to pretend they're not hearing things on the school bus and, you know, in the playground and so (laughs) on, (laughs) because you're so afraid that it will pull them down. But the reality is they are hearing all those things and they're left to their own, on their own to make sense of what it all means. And uh, paradoxically, giving that sexuality more control, giving that curiosity more control, rather than teaching them through your example that they're, they don't need to be afraid of it, that they are always in the driver's seat of their own sexuality. And that's not to say that sexuality is a real um, desire. It's a real thing. And, you know, our passions will always impact us, right? They're always there. But the idea that your passion runs you is a, it's like taking yourself out of the driver's seat. It's a very bad idea. We always yeah. just to make, our, we're always responsible for our decisions, right? We, it, that's not to say that there's nothing's, nothing that can impact us and be very hard for us, but ultimately we always decide how we're going to be in relationship to our sexuality and as well as other passions. And so the best way to equip your children is to give them the clear message that they are the choosers and the definers of their life. And how are they going to integrate this God-given passion into a good life? Mm. You know, how, if you do it in the food way, how can you be in relationship to the pleasures of food in a way that blesses your life? Denying all pleasure through food doesn't make your life better. And indulging everything doesn't make your life better. Same with sexuality. Wow, yeah. Denying sexuality will handicap a marriage terribly. But being impulsive or compulsive about it will handicap a marriage terribly. So how do you integrate these desires in a way that really bless your life and bless the lives of the people you're in relationship with? So that, that's what I think is, I've already forgotten your question now. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think- Why we don't talk about it as parents. Why do we, so we, we're af- exactly, thank you. So we're afraid. Yeah. And so then we, we are complicit in the silence rather than- how do we offer our kids a way to see themselves as being in control? And one way to do it is to be straight up about what forces are upon us, what is out there, 
because the more knowledge is power, the more you know, the more you can be wise in your decision making. So by not talking about it, it creates curiosity. It also disempowers our kids to feel like or to lose that almost accountability for what they're in a way. Yeah. Wow. That's really interesting. So I'm interested to also, you know, how as a member of the church, you know, we look out into the world and we see how over-sexualized, hyper-sexualized things are and how, you know, the moral degeneration of our sexuality, it seems like. But do you think that the church is like behind the times with talking about this stuff? Are we afraid that if we talk about it, that um, we're going to shift towards the same moral degeneration that we witness in the world? Um, What can we do about that? Um, I I guess I think we're maybe a bit behind the times. I don't know if that's quite the right way I want to say it. I I mean, I think what I would say is we, I'm thinking um, of from like a worldly perspective as from outside of the church. It's like, are you, are the members are, you know, is the church. Well, what I would say is I think our values uh, around being sexually conservative, I'm not talking politically. I'm just saying like, in terms of like being cautious in our, our, our sexual behavior saving the highest sense of form of sexual expression for marriage committed relationship, I think are very good ideals for many reasons. Um, so I, I don't think that our ideals are a problem. Uh, I think there's a lot of evidence that a lot of women in a kind of post-sexual revolution society actually long for some of those ideals actually in their intimate relationships. Mm-hmm. But I think where we are maybe could improve is by being more of a proactive in facilitating our children's ability to make deliberate choices around their sexuality. I think because we want so much for there to be a particular behavioral outcome, we kind of use scare tactics and avoidance and so Manipulation, on. Yeah, yeah. Yes, exactly. And, you know, you know, uh, object lessons of holes in boards and, and terrible things like that as a way of trying to get behavioral compliance as if that means we succeeded. Yeah. Which it doesn't. I think that's the wrong idea. It's like, can you help your child mature in a responsible way around their sexuality such that they live up to their own integrity, their own ideals, uh, to what they really believe is right is what I mean to say around their sexuality. And I think as parents, we really owe our kids, um, the open conversation and the open leadership in a sense around yeah. that aspect of themselves. And, and, and the, the way that I don't really like using this language very much. Hang on, I'm just going to adjust my phone. I, the language of the world, I think is a little too fear-based, but hmm. the way that we are in a better society around sexuality than we used to be is we do understand how sexuality very much can be a part of the good life. It's not a necessary yeah. evil. It's not just something you do for reproduction. It's, um, it can be a, an amazing and wonderful part of an intimate partnership. And so I think the valuing of sexuality in some ways and celebrating of it is, in, is a potential step forward. I'll say that. Yeah. So I think that's a good thing. But where, where we get it wrong in the larger society or even in our own lives is if we then that becomes that we sort of untether it from integrity and untether it from our higher selves. Yeah. That's when it's a problem. And so we need as parents to really link it to our, our best selves 
especially a language as powerful as sexuality. It's very important that it, meaning our anxiety around sexuality is merited in some sense, we, you know, but if it overwhelms us, well, then we take ourselves out of the driver's seat. So we have some anxiety because it's oh. a powerful language. What we do with yeah. it matters, but all the more reason to be thoughtful about what we are creating through our sexuality, even in our avoidance, we're often creating destructive marital patterns in our avoidance. And so it's not really something you cannot deal with it, yeah. or it deals or it deals with you. So you, you kind of need to deal with it. You want to do it in a way that creates goodness. So I like this idea, you know, you're talking about um, that if it overruns us, because I, I guess that that's, that's what I think what people are afraid of is that it's something that's going to become so over powering because it's so prevalent everywhere that they're going to go well if we talk about it then it's be going to become well it's free game everything's accessible you know everything's accessible everything's okay but i like what you're saying that it's like no there's there's a balance here in this mm-hmm. in our in our behavior and in our desires yeah. and our drives and you know, honestly my experience in working with clients is, is oftentimes the people that came out of the most suppressed uh, family yeah. cultures around sexuality will often be really suppressed in their own sexuality. And then if they start to untether or loosen, then they'll go to the other side, you know, right. where it's sort of like un- unmoored, you know, and yeah. that's how to say it, both, both are broken positions. It's like yeah. anorexic versus bulimic. They're both broken yeah. positions in a sense. Yeah. Right. And so the, the more that people, um, you know, I've given this metaphor or this story before, but like I had a friend who was afraid of her children becoming porn addicts because it had been rampant in her family, Mm. troubles with pornography. And so when her three and five-year-old were at the grocery store line, she would sort of throw herself in front of the magazines with the scantily clad women and so on and to be protective, right? But what she was actually doing was driving the other side. She, She was through her anxiety, communicating fear and curiosity and wow, and yeah. driving more likelihood for them to be compulsively looking, seeking out this thing that would make mom so anxious. But I've got to understand what it is, where if you're more matter of fact, yeah. you're more center of the road, like, yes, you know, people do that. People will take pictures of themselves to sell things. It's an interesting and somewhat sad thing that people do that, yeah. you know, just to be more matter of fact, you model yeah. for your kids, your ability to be a decision maker, to be the, um, the driver, to use your metaphor again, around who they're going to be in this aspect of their lives. So I think it's, it's very important. That's awesome. And, and it's, it's interesting, the paradox too, that when she's hiding it, it also cultivates more shame around it, yeah. that it's like, then yeah. they get curious and then they get, yeah more curious exactly. and then they get ashamed because they looked into it or something that's right which it's, drives it's really, more compulsivity yeah right. which is exactly. really sad and that's you know going back to my analogy about the family culture being a, a, like a, tr- a journey one of the things i talk about is that trust is like the fuel of your vehicle and one of the components of trust is is being non-judgmental that mm-hmm. we can't like at some our kids are going to make choices or we're going to make choices or our spouse, you know, I think that there's a righteous judgment in the sense that we actually aren't the judges <laughs> in the end. You yeah. know, I think that there is, um, 
we're we're not going to be the ones making the, the these these big judgment calls. So when our kids come yeah. to us and they say that they've been curious, how can parents come from a non-judgmental, you know, maybe more process oriented rather than results oriented, like in the sense of, oh, I wanted you to stay pure, I wanted you to live this way, but allowing children First of all, I don't, to I don't approach think we, them. Yeah. One thing I would say is the whole purity thing we really have to take a hard look at because uh-huh. you don't. <laughs> It's the wrong model. Okay. okay. It's the wrong model. It's maybe how to say it. Let me just think about what, how, what I want to say for a second. The idea of purity means that sexuality is dirty and you want to stay away from it. And the more you stay mm-hmm. away from it, the more pure you are. I think it's the wrong idea because sexual development, a sexual development model means that of course, curiosity and some exploration is going to be a part of normal sexual development that prepares you to be in a marriage. So if you use the idea of purity, it means, well, the less pure people are actually more prepared for for marriage. And that doesn't, those two two aren't congruous, right? You can talk about purity of heart. I'm good Mm -hmm. about that. Okay. Purity of heart is you have integrity and you're trying to live an honest and good life. You're trying to live in a way that creates goodness. Okay. Which is going to require some integration of your sexuality. So if your kids are expressing curiosity or they've explored certain things or they've looked at certain things, I mean, I mean, my first response would just be to normalize that. You know, one of the stories that I tell is that my father had a book on his top bookshelf called The Naked Communist. Okay, this was a book about politics. It was a Cleon Skousen book from, the, I don't know, the 70s or something. But of course, the title, I'm like, what is my dad reading? I must know. <laughs> so, so I scaled the bookshelf, got no, not a single picture of a naked communist inside. <laughs> but, you know, I told the story later to my siblings and they were all laughing about that. They had also climbed there. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so that's normal. I mean, I remember looking at the Sears catalog in the bra section and just, you know, it, it, that's normal. That made yeah. me human. That didn't make me yeah. perverse. It made me human. So, of course, we live in an era where porn is much more available, much more um, readily available. Of course, your kids are going to stumble into it. If they don't, that would be the aberration. That doesn't make them bad. That makes them human. Right. And so I think approaching it from the position of yes. And, um, and then being not so afraid of it that you can't understand both what they have seen or what they are learning about and help them make sense of their experience. Mm, Yeah. While, and you know, I teach a how to talk to your LDS kids about sex sports where I'm helping parents know kind of at each developmental stage kind of what the tasks are of good sexual development, but you want them to be anchored to a goal and a self-defined goal ultimately around what it is they want to create with their sexuality. And so then they can make decisions not based on shame and fear and I can't look at it or I can't pass sacrament, that kind of thing, but make decisions based on what it is they want to create in their lives and what it is that they want to develop through their, their emerging sexuality. Because when your decisions are based on your higher self, and your own desires and what it is you want to create, it doesn't feel oppressive. It doesn't drive you into darkness. It is about, okay, well, I'm not going to do that because I don't think that's going to really create what I want. And that, that kind of decision-making makes you stronger. Shame-based decision-making drives you into compulsivity and restriction. And, and, you know, I, I use food a lot because it's easy for people to relate to that, that if you, 
feel like I want to be healthy. I want to treat my body well. I don't want to eat too much sugar. I want to do the things that make it strong. Well, if you're like, if you do it in the form of self-definition, okay, I'm, I'm a healthy person. I treat my body well. I have respect. For my, it's easier to make decisions when you're living up to your self, to your own yeah. objectives and goals, then I'm not allowed to, I can't, I'm bad if I do. That drives you into rebellion and compliance and you get stuck there. And a lot of people yeah. relate to their sexuality in that frame and it really entraps them. That's so awesome. Yeah, I can totally relate to that analogy of the with the food because I that was my study was like diet culture and how you know the shame around yo yo dieting going back and forth things like that and and that is a cycle to that the shame and then indulgence yep. and shame and you know and things like yep. that and Absolutely. so I, I you know saying me saying pure saying pure and things like that it was kind of like even that is a judgment you know even that is like if you if you are throwing these judgments around we don't even realize that we are yeah when you label something that becomes a judgment if you label yep. things as good or bad things like that which I think that's kind of taboo in the church things are bad things are good you know and yeah you know, we should steer our kids towards things that are good. Sure. That's, that's, I believe that too. Sure. But when our kids approach us with questions or they want to talk about things, I like this idea, like you're saying to just normalize it. So then it doesn't become anything that's laced with shame or labels or judgment. It's exactly. just the process of development. Yes, exactly. And, and I think in similar form, if we think of repentance as this big process of you have some deep, dark, terrible thing about you that you have to go through some process to get rid of, but secretly we all know you don't ever get rid of it, that kind of thing. That just hampers development and spiritual wow. development. Yeah. Where if you think of it more as like, no, repentance is just shifting the trajectory back towards the good. And mm -hmm. development requires, that's why we have the atonement. You can't develop without that process of making less ideal choices, learning from them, redirecting, making another choice that's maybe closer to the mark, but like still off. That's how development happens in everything that we do. And so to normalize that process, like, no, yeah. you know, it, because when we're really perfectionistic and tyrannical, even in our development, it's doesn't matter what the ideals are in the family, if you're LDS or otherwise, it really becomes that you can't be human and be at peace. And that's a terrible thing to do to human beings. Wow. I love this. I love that you're bringing this up because I think that there are a lot of people who, you know, they have this perfectionism type of perspective, especially in the church that it's like, well, I'm supposed to be this certain way. And it's like, but no, then what's the atonement for? We have to be able to return and keep checking in and repenting. And that I love yeah. that you say, well, and I, and I've talked about repentance in the sense I had prepared to talk for church recently. That was like, well, about repentance. And I based it, I related it back to this idea of trust that it's about trusting the Lord that we can be forgiven. One of the, when I was preparing to go on a mission and I was, you know, we go through this interview process to go through and things. Mm -hmm. And my Bishop said, do you have anything else you want to talk about that I need to repent of? Right. Cause we're supposed to talk to the Bishop. Mm -hmm. And I was like, pause for a second. He goes, because if there is, maybe you need to reevaluate your belief in the atonement actually, <laughs> and mm -hmm. go to the Lord. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I was like, Whoa, I, I don't know. For, for some reason at that point, it like really, opened my mm. mind that it was like, I'm not accountable to him. I'm accountable to myself and the Lord. Yeah. And, yeah. and that that's really what it comes back to is, is my faith and my trust that I could be forgiven. And yeah. when you wrap shame around things that, that we label, then that creates that barrier between us and our ability to be forgiven and to progress yeah. and grow. 
So yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So many of our families teach the gospel, but don't actually believe in it. The family culture doesn't believe in being human and the process of growing and developing and mistake making as a fundamental um, process to spiritual development. And so a lot of it's one of those versions of where you hear the words, but you don't actually live the reality of that Mm -hmm. goodness, God's real mercy for us. You know, we really are invited into that process. It's an important one. And for some of us, the most courageous thing we'll ever do is actually extend real compassion to ourselves and allow ourselves to be human. Very kind thing to do to ourselves, but also very kind thing to do the people that we're in relationship with is to offer that even to ourselves. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of controversial, right? Like, because there's, I, I don't know, my, my husband was telling me about this article that he'd read recently about how it was like, we can't be, I don't know, maybe I'm getting a little controversy, but <laughs> that it was like, how can we love God and others? How can we keep the commandments and still love others who are sinning? And it was like, okay, but the commandment is to love God and love others. And if we are loving God, then it's like a natural extension of that is to love others. Yeah. So what do you, what point. would you say to that? What, what, what's the question though? I didn't quite follow. What, oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. So it's in terms of, of sexuality and like the, the way that, um, the, the, our culture at large is going or the way that, you know, mm, I don't know how to say this <laughs> just, just in general, like the, in the church, there are members of the church or members of conservative groups of people who look at people who are pushing this sexual agenda and Mm. that they are evil, that they're wrong Mm. and that we can't actually ever support anybody who's pushing that agenda because then it would be compromising our own values. Right. But it's Mm -hmm. like, but there's also this commandment, this, uh, you know, addressing this idea that we are supposed to love God and love others. And so how do we balance this, this like dichotomy? Well, I, th- I think, first of all, one of our sinful mm, behaviors in the church mm-hmm. is that we pretend like the Sadducees and the Pharisees that we already know everything mm-hmm. when we don't. Okay. We, we just don't like we are in a process and we're trusting in a process, but we just really don't know everything. And so to put ourselves in the position of God and to pretend that we do is blasphemous. I think it's it's really immature of us and it's usually anxiety-based, fear-based, and mm-hmm. contempt-based, not love. So yeah. we want to tell ourselves we're standing up for goodness, just like the Sadducees and Pharisees did. Meanwhile, we are trampling over other people that God sees much more clearly than we do. So, you know, we might all be surprised when we get up there who's actually being celebrated for their goodness and who isn't. (laughs) But I I think that, you know, I was talking about this today by some of my siblings about when. um, Yeah, sorry, I'm just I'm just kind of going back into my mind about this conversation we were having. But but, you know, my one of the things my father, I think, really modeled well was just a basic courage to be honest. Mm-hmm. And to acknowledge his own doubt or his own uncertainty in the faith at the same time that he offered a lot of loyalty. He served a tremendous amount in the church, but he didn't pretend to know things that he didn't necessarily know or believe things he didn't necessarily believe. And I think that uh, was a good thing for all of us. But one of the stories that was came up in our conversation about this was I remember that my 
my brother was going through a faith crisis back when I was a freshman at BYU and he was reading church history and talking about these things that were scaring me because they felt very challenging to my view of reality. And I, I was afraid it was going to ruin my testimony. And so I wanted to handle that by distancing myself from him by basically, you know, having him be more separate from me so that he wouldn't infect me. And I remember kind of saying a prayer about that and feeling clearly that that was cowardly and dishonest of me and that loving my brother, that the truth could withstand loving another person, that the truth would be made manifest through loving another person. And so even though, you know, what I was trying to do in the name of righteousness was something that was actually very much fear-based and self-protective in the worst sense. And what I felt like God was inviting me to do was something that took more courage and was going to challenge me, but that I trusted in God and goodness and the truth enough that I believed it could prevail if that was really where my heart was, was to really know what's true. And I have learned a tremendous amount from my brother. I really have. And I'm very grateful I didn't do that because I would be worse for it. He'd probably be worse for it. And, um, and I developed as a person into a more solid understanding of what is true and good because I didn't shut it off. I didn't just shut down the things that challenged me. And so I think, you know, you don't, you don't want to basically condone things that are actively evil and are destructive. You don't, you don't want to say something's good. That's not good, but you have to start with yourself. And, you know, we're all capable of calling things good in ourselves that are not good. And we're all capable of, you know, this is what Christ was so critical of is that we all like to do that. And to be blind yeah. to ourselves. And so we got to start with ourselves, not not with uh, people that we see around us. Let God deal with them, deal with who we are. Mm-hmm. Wow, that was awesome. <laughs> thank you. That was, <laughs> I could have said it better. That's great. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thank you. And that brings it back to also the beginning of our conversation where you'd said, lean into the truth, lean mm-hmm. into what you, what is real, what is true. And um and I love this self-examination come back to mm-hmm. our own selves. If we are judging, you know, it's like that, that beam that's in our eyes or whatever. Yeah. That, yeah. You know, it's like, there's always that beam in our own eye. We can't yeah, expect exactly. that we know everything. We can't be yeah. so self-righteous that we're blinded to the fact that we are, we don't know everything. So yeah, it's a brilliant yeah. metaphor because you're quite literally blind. You got a massive beam and you're trying to help somebody with their you know, sliver. And yeah. uh, it's not. <laughs> Yeah, it's not helpful. And, 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 it's, and it's very much linked to the sexuality idea, like how am I relating to this topic and who am I around sexuality? Because that's going to have the most impact on your kids, not what you say, but what mm-hmm. you actually do. If you recoil every time your spouse touches you, if you get, you know, you're giving tons wow. of messages about sexuality. And so dealing with yourself will really be the most loving thing you can do. Wow. That's awesome. And that was, that's leads me to that. It's like, when I started exploring family culture, the beginning is understanding how you're modeling behaviors, but then we have to take it a step beyond that and actually be proactive about what we talk about and the things that we introduce to our families to, to be deliberate about it. Mm -hmm. So what is, what is your advice and conclusion? We can (laughs) finish up, but what is your advice for parents who want to talk about sexuality with their children? What is your, what is the advice you usually give? Um, get my how to talk to kids about sex course yeah. <laughs> Good. <laughs> and then go through it. <laughs> um, yeah. Little self-promotion there. That's 20% off currently. Um, awesome. but, um, <laughs> for Christmas, uh, but, um, 
what's my advice to parents? Well, it's a lot of the things that I'm saying. I, I think that it's taking an inventory of yourself and kind of yeah. how you've related to this. And, you know, a lot of the content that I teach is about helping people work out their relationship to their sexuality more deliberately, more thoughtfully, looking at some of the ideas they've inherited. Which ones do they want to keep? Which ones do they want to let go of? Um, because the, again, the more internally organized you get, the more you are in a position to lend a helping hand. Okay. And the yeah. more you're in a position to not just offer the lines that you heard me say in the podcast to your children, but to actually believe them, you know, that I'm just going to move because people coming in upstairs, it's going to get noisy. Um, and so, um, so I think that's the starting point. And then I think it's at every stage, depending on where your child is in their development, you know, you want to be offering from the, an early age a basic acceptance of the body and the inherent sexuality mm, yeah. of being, um, being embodied. You know, it's, it's core to our theology, this idea yeah. that we accept and embrace the body, but how do you actually communicate that as your child starts to explore their body or, you know, understand that they are have capacity for sensuality and pleasure and so on. How do you role model and a real acceptance of that while directing them? So, you know, I, I think it's, it's hard to answer in a quick way, but it's yeah. understanding <laughs> developmentally where your children, uh, it, where your children are, what their developmental tasks are and what your role is at every stage. And I think that, um, you have more hands-on in a sense in the early stages leading up to pre-adolescence is a very vital time for really offering your values. And then in adolescence being more of a um, consultant, right? So the earlier, the better, but it's never too late to offer uh, your perspective and your values and your thoughts. But um, it's just equipping yourself to be a guide and that means really looking at yourself and, the, and then understanding what kind of guidance your kids need at each stage. Awesome. Thank you yeah. so much. Thank you. That was awesome. And I really appreciate you being here. And um, so where can we find your course? Where's, where's the link? Uh, so my website is just my last name. So it's finlayson-fife.com. So F-I-N-L-A-Y-S-O-N-F-I-F-E.com. And then on the homepage, there is a link to the sale because we're doing 20% off until christmas day on all the online courses and so so yeah so they can just find them there or you can see the tab there's like the workshops i'm doing there's a online courses tab so you can podcast tab so you can see where all my stuff is when you get on there but yeah wonderful yeah, so yeah cool yeah thank you so much so thank just you. conclusion please like subscribe rate review and share the podcast and remember that if you want to change the world go home and love your family Thank you, Dr. Finlayson Fife. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to learn more about how to talk to your kids about sex, visit Dr. Finlayson Fife's website today and look for the How to Talk to Your LDS Kids About Sex online course under the Online Courses tab. You can find Dr. Finlayson Fife's website at www.finlayson-fife.com. Thanks for listening.